Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. That's an axiom that's been known throughout history and told by historians that it's important to learn history and all of history and true history so we don't relive it again. When I was a kid reading the book of Judges in the Old Testament in the Protestant Bible, I used to think, why did those silly Israelites keep doing the same thing over and over again? They're crazy. And I see today that human history is a repeating of itself over and over again as we fall forward through history. And today, the craziness we see in the political structure, our cultural overturn, are very familiar if you look through the resonation of history. And we can avoid the same pitfalls of the past by knowing history gritty, ugly, and muddy, and humanly, beautifully messy. That's the message of my guest on today's post-evangelical podcast. Garrison Hayes is a great creator, a former pastor, an author, a coach. He's an awesome guy. And he's trying to help all of us understand the importance of black history and accurate black history because black history is human history. Now, you may say, oh, I don't want to talk about race. I'm so tired about hearing all of this. Well, let me tell you, that attitude is what dooms us to repeat history. And I urge you to listen to this very important and amazing podcast from a brilliant man who's got something to share with all of us. Garrison Hayes is my guest today. Let me remind you, if you like what I do, the content that I provide for free, the message that God is not mad at you, and God is not mad at the world, remember to go to my website, pastor-paul.com. Sign up for my newsletter so you can get event updates and cool special things that we do. And if you're able, click that support Pastor Paul button and you can financially help keep this work going as well for anywhere from $5.99 a month up to $100 a month or more. You can help keep us doing what we do. Garrison Hayes is his name. He's an amazing creator and an amazing man. Hope you'll enjoy this podcast from the post-evangelical pastor and pastor-paul.com. All right, welcome to the pod. I'm excited to talk to uh, a new connection of mine and somebody that uh, really brings a lot of incredible stuff to the table. His name is Garrison Hayes. Uh, he's a video content creator, a writer, and just a really smart, wise guy. Uh, so I don't know if a wise guy is the right term. Right. Which, which, kind of, which kind of wise guy are we talking about here? <laughs> but a guy with wisdom. How oh, about that? Okay. How about that? <laughs> Garrison Hayes joins me on the podcast today. And Garrison, uh, appreciate you making time. I know you had to jam home from work to get with us today. No, thank you so much, Pastor Paul, for just the opportunity to, to have this conversation with you and your audience and just, just thankful for, for what you do online. So thank you. Like, like most people that I connect with these days, I, I find you on, on uh, social media like uh, TikTok or YouTube, which are kind of my favorite places to live these days. And how did you end up doing what is a lot of anti-racist content and, and really brilliant anti-racist content on TikTok? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, 
I've been kind of a content creator for quite some time. I started out on YouTube in 2007. And so that was like a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far <laughs> away, it feels at this stage. Yeah. Um, life took me all in, in so many different directions. But in graduate school and seminary, actually, is where I really kind of developed this love for um, a retelling of history. I find that we've in many ways, the way that history works, the way that time works is that we get far further and further away from the original story. And we come up with ideas that are completely disconnected from our history oftentimes. And, and so I find that to be true in, in, in the church and in Christianity. Um, but I also find that to be true in this conversation that's very near and dear to my heart and to my lived experience of race. A lot of the constructs, the ideas, even the sayings, the things that we default to have distinct origins in history at different points in history. And so much of our conversation around eradicating or fixing racism feels untethered to that history. And so summer 2020, um, the great uh, reckoning, the racial reckoning, as some, some call it, um, really got this conversation of racism and how we can solve it started again. And about six months later in January, um, I was just fed up with the way that we were talking about race. I thought no one's talking about race the right way. So I started out on TikTok. And of course, in the process, I meet plenty of people who are talking about race the right way, quote unquote, the way that I think is grounded in history and grounded in scholarship and, and beautiful research that helps us understand the, the complexities of this very complex issue. Um, and I just wanted to contribute positively to that conversation. So that's how I got into it. Um, like I said, I've met some amazing people, yourself included, through the process and seeing that there are so many different ways that people are approaching this issue and trying to tackle and solve this in the, within their sphere of influence, whether that's within Christianity or the church or the public sector or just on their job, wherever they may be. Uh, people are are taking their varied approaches to this, and and it's really beautiful to see. I mean, I love that. I love that approach. Um, you're a former pastor, uh, so am I. Uh, even though I still play one on TikTok, <laughs> um, the and and I think if like history and like the Bible, which is in some sometimes a historical textual book that we're reading. Um, if we don't understand the history around the writing and around the words on the page we miss what is actually being said. And so I love to do what I call modern day parables and take the Bible and try to try to paint a picture of what is kind of happening there and what that would look like to be ported into our culture. And, and, I, and so I hear you doing that as well with sort of our racial history. And it's, uh, do you find that it helps people to maybe apprehend what, what they're hearing and reading and thinking about in a, in a little bit more tangible way? Yeah, I do find that to be true. Something that I say often is that your anti-racism is really only as good, potent, powerful as the history that informs it. And I find that bringing that history in, and hopefully telling those stories, I mean, it's kind of this funny thing on TikTok, TikTok now, story time, right? Like having these moments of story time to, to tell the stories of, of how we got here it just kind of opens, I think, people's minds and their eyes to 
um, to issues or really to approaches, to constructs, to structures, to systems, I can go on, um, that they may not have seen before. Um, you know, the reason why I, and, and, and I know your audience is aware of this, but the reason why we say uh, anti-racism is because it's not good enough to just be not racist, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's just not enough. That doesn't go far enough. We have to actively push against these forces and history reveals the truth of that statement that we have to be, um, you know, powerfully and intentionally opposed to the forces of racism. Otherwise, they will persist because in many ways they are normal. Every you know, they, they are just banal. They are everyday kinds of things that we think to be normal, but they really aren't and they shouldn't be. And it takes a bit of intentionality and it takes a bit of historical awareness to to truly address that issue. I I have found this to be so true in my own life. I, I start talking about other people and I always have to stop and say, I have found this in my own life to be unaware of where race and racism are a part of my life as I've been brought up and, and all of these things. And, and so we constantly have to be checking ourselves, I think. And I remember when when we were delving into all these topics and I was speaking out some on on my outlets, you know, very good people, a very good friend of mine, uh, we were talking one day and he says, if those people didn't have so many children out of wedlock, mm. they wouldn't have the problems they have. <laughs> and I just, I, it, it caught me for a second. And I, and I, I asked my friend, you know, like, just isn't saying those people like enough, like, don't you feel something around saying those people, but, but then diving into deeper, like what you're saying and I think I actually saw you mention this in a video, perhaps, um, is there's a group of people who don't believe in family the same way you believe in family. They're, they're not as strong on family. And, and so you're saying there's something inherently wrong in a group of people. And in this case, a group of people with a, a different skin tone, perhaps, than yours, who who just don't understand the importance of family like you do. And I, I don't think we understand, Garrison, what we're saying a lot of the times. And so we've got to point it out in one another. And that requires me to have a heart that says, if if I display this, I want somebody to call it out in me as a, I think it's a little bit of the season we're in, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't make the video that you're referring to, and I'd love to, to see that. But I think you're exactly right that we uh, that oftentimes there are ways of doing things that we have considered to be the standard, the norm. Um, and that's maybe not the norm or the standard for everyone. That's one one approach. Um, but there's also to this very issue, you know, your friend saying, you know, why are they having these children out of wetlock? Um, there's the very real issue that the most incarcerated person or people group in this country are black men. Um, mm -hmm. We cannot have that conversation without considering the implications, the ramifications of the war on drugs and the war on crime and the way poverty and intentionally impoverished communities are a hotbed for the issues that lead to single parenthood, single mothers. And so oftentimes, you know, there's this Dorothy Day quote or this quote about Dorothy Day, um, who was a Catholic uh, nun. And they talk about how, you know, people are pulling the babies out of the river 
um, why are all these babies coming down down the river and they're just kind of like pulling them out? We don't have enough people to pull these babies out of the river. And they always say that Dorothy Day would ask, well, why are there babies? Why are there babies in the river in the first place? Right. Oftentimes our conversations are happening. My point, our conversations are often happening so far downstream mm -hmm. that it would be impossible for us to accurately or adequately solve them at that location. It requires us to go way further upstream in order to really begin to mine the actual issues here. So if you're looking at uh, why is it that there are so many single mothers in the black community, uh, you could maybe create an intervention to stop people from maybe engaging in sexual intercourse, or you could create an intervention to discourage uh, women from, you know, maybe whatever it is. That, that, but that intervention would be way too far downstream um, to actually address the systemic issue that creates these conditions. And, and so this is, again, this is the history, right? This is why uh, I'm so passionate about uh, history and understanding the history that brings us to this moment. Yeah. And, and if anybody's not aware of what you're talking about, the, the documentary, is it 13th? Is that the documentary of? of That's the, right. 13th. Yeah. The, the, the purpose of kind of law enforcement and the prison system in our country and how race played into that. And then the what was the one of the boys in New York? Was it when they see us? Is that what it was called? Uh, oh, yeah. When they see us. Yep. Yeah. I, I would recommend uh, anybody interested in in allyship for sure. And, uh, and for sure, just uh, the understanding of, of the systemic issues that we're facing and all of this, that we're a country that declares ourselves to be free and our patriots are chasing after freedom yet. Yet we have by far the highest population, uh, highest percentage of our population incarcerated of any country in the world or free country in the world, I should say. And and that a much larger population of that uh, percentage of that population is black men than inhabit the percentage of our entire population. I don't know if I said that well, but you, you the, said, yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off. There. Yeah, go go ahead. Ahead. <laughs> I was just no, going to say the percentage of population made up in the prisons by black men is far beyond their percentage of the total population. It, it is disproportionate. I think, um, you know, a lot of times we talk about racism and one of the things that's really been striking me and, and maybe you all are getting a sneak preview of a video that I'll make in the future. Um, but nice. <laughs> there's this idea for me, it feels like the word racism is truly inadequate. It's I mean, it's a fine word. It exists and it's it's but it's it describes so many different things that it's really hard for people to really drill into the value or exactly what it is that we're trying to to talk about here. Let me give an example. Um, there's this idea called structural determinism. Um, of course, us Theo bros, Theo bros like you and I, are, we know what determinism is, the idea of predestination, that there's something that's already been prescribed to happen, um, perhaps by God or, or maybe by some other authority. That's the concept of determinism. Um, structural determinism um, purports that there are structures in place that just by virtue of their existence have determined some particular outcomes. This is an important part of racism. When we say racism, we're talking about, in part, structural determinism. Uh, the Eskimo people have um, some several hundred words uh, for the idea of snow. 
and you know they they talk about snow when it's when it's the mushy stuff or when it's the powdery stuff that's a different word and it's a different word when it's somewhat melted but not quite water and it's a different word when it's really like really hard there are all these different types of snow and they have different words for all of these different types of snow for us you know we're like snow and it just kind of is snow <laughs> Well, that, that means that the structure of our language does not allow, it is actually determined that we will not be able to, in a moment, in one word, describe all of the different complexities to this idea of snow. That That's kind of a part of this, this idea of structural determinism. When, if you haven't read the book, The Color of Money by Mersha Baradaran, when, when, you know, so much of the wealth of the black community is literally stolen by the United States government. Um, you have created a structure that determines poverty as an outcome. Mm. When, if you haven't, um, you know, read the book *The Color of Law*, which is about redlining and the way segregation as a structure works, when you've tied, or when our country has tied education to your zip code. And but you've also segregated uh, impoverished groups into one particular place. You've created a structure that determines a very specific outcome for people who have to be who are raised or grow up in that kind of community. And so I said a lot there, Pastor Paul. But, yeah. but what I'm really trying to to get us to kind of understand is that maybe I'm just repeating myself that we have to go much further upstream to to understand these issues um, related to things like mass incarceration and um, segregation and disproportionate outcomes and disparate impact by law and all of the things that lead to the uh, disparities that we see within black and brown and immigrant communities to this day. And I think we have to realize that what we're saying in our beliefs, like my friend I was talking about is that and we don't say it out loud, but what we are saying is we believe there's something inherent in a group of people that makes them less righteous, less good than us. Yeah. And even that, that you know, those people versus us is, I think, something that we really have to break down in this season. I, I don't think Jesus ever had a those people and an mm. us. And and the the fact that us to a Caucasian white person like me, this is what somebody told me along the way this year that really struck me or over the last year or so. Uh, you you as a white person think you don't have a culture. You think you are culture. You, mm. you think your culture is just the culture. And, and it's not. It is a culture. And you're telling everyone our culture is superior to yours. And until you can adhere to our culture, um, you're not quite us or you're not quite good enough to be us. And so that plays itself out in in hair and dress and, and all these other things where we say, you know, in the old days, for sure, it would have been you wear a tie and a jacket mm -hmm. uh, to work or to a work interview. And you don't have tattoos where they can be at least where they can be seen right. and all those things. And so just even breaking down some of those norms and and recognizing that no this is a this is a white euro culture that was invented somewhere along the way and we're demanding people come to our culture 
those things need to be broken down for us to start to live uh, no longer as us and those people, I guess. Yeah, that's really well said. I'm sure throughout our conversation, I'll have books, uh, rec book recommendations that come to mind. But so much of what you were just describing is really well um, outlined by Princeton um, professor um, who wrote uh, who wrote a book called uh, The History of, of White People. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I'm, her name is escaping me. Um, maybe I should just look it, look it up. I'll here. look it up and you keep talking about it. How about that? Yeah, that's a that's a good idea. Um, but I, I do think it's a it's a really important thing book to to, to read. Nell Irvin Painter is her name. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, you beat not, me to it. Got I cannot move on without getting that name <laughs> back into my mind. Uh, Dr. Nell Irvin Painter writes this book, um, and she outlines exactly what you're describing: how uh, almost the de ethnicization of Europeans. The reality is that Europeans have many different ethnic groups. We are all ethnic people. Mm -hmm. um, and to then kind of, instead of identifying with our ethnicity and that localized, districtized kind of culture that we all spring from, um, to move into whiteness um, for Europeans, uh, was a major loss. I mean, truly, the idea of white supremacy robs everyone, including white people, of a really rich history and, and deep ethnic identity um, that has profound value. One of the things that I really want for so many um, white people in America is to kind of find a connection to your roots. While mm -hmm. some people say that whiteness doesn't have a culture in America, I think that's debatable. I don't agree with that personally. I do think there is profound, a profoundly rich culture um, to, be, to be found in Italy and Poland and Germany and finding and identifying with and, and pulling out the beauty of those different cultural um, idiosyncrasies and identities uh, for white people, I think is going to be a really important part of that healing process to heal from all that whiteness as a construct and white supremacy as an ideology have robbed from, from so many of us. Well, I want to show people what you do. Um, because you're brilliant at what you do, and I really love it. And so this is a video that caught my eye. And there, there are about four or five I was I was arguing with myself to play. But this one, I think, really, this was something I didn't know and learned from you. And so this is uh, Garrison Hayes talking about the history of the N-word. So uh, let's play that. How did we stop saying and replace it with the N-word? Plan in the basement said, quote, we already have a your mayor. We don't need any more big shots. I'm so glad you asked and buckle up, this story is crazy. As recently as the mid-1990s, it was totally normal in professional and journalistic life to blurt out the N-word when quoting someone else. I mean, yes, people knew that they shouldn't say it, but there was nothing wrong with recounting that someone else had said it. The word I'm thinking of is the word nigga that you keep kept using among yourselves, yeah. among your other uh, friends. Like when five children in an upper-class suburb in this country write the hated word in code word. You see, the history of the word nigger has burdened it with barbs so permanent that even hearing a non-black person use the word to quote someone else using the word is unacceptable today. I'm making this video to talk about the most regretful and shameful thing that I've ever had to talk about publicly. I use, yeah, I, 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 I've used it. I admit it. 
I put the H on it to emphasize it's the guy. Now, you know, make this, make it up, please. You know, can you lend a pencil? That's just the way things work until this guy gifted the world an alternative. This is Chris Darden. You may know him as the most unlucky lawyer of all time when he was tasked with prosecuting the O.J. Simpson case. When it was discovered that the lead detective in the case routinely used the word to describe black people and that there were recordings of him doing so. And you say on your oath that you have not addressed any black person as a That's what I'm saying, sir. He's lying. <laughs> Doubt was cast on whether or not his evidence could be trusted. This was such a big deal that the entire case became about these tapes. But OJ's only black prosecutor refused to say the word. The N-word. It is the filthiest, dirtiest, nastiest word in the English language. Opting instead to use the term N-word. Before this point, no one had used that term in public life or on national TV, and it changed the game. Almost 30 years later, it is inconceivable that a non-Black person would say that word. Chris Darden, in his deliberate refusal, made the most American word in the English language unutterable. How did we... Oh, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah, it really is. Um doing the research for that video was was really fun and 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 like you said fascinating i, I got the opportunity to listen to a lot of people saying the n-word but <laughs> <laughs> including our current president there in that video including our current president. apparently and i learned this through the comments this is somewhat of an aside but apparently in court you have to, if you're going to read a document, you have to read it word for word. Some people mm -hmm. were like, he could not have said any other word other than that word. But I would make the argument that today, um, someone would just choose not to quote from that part of the testimony. They would get someone else, someone with a lower, you know, <laughs> with a lesser profile <laughs> to say it uh, because no one wants to be on tape, you know, recorded yeah. saying that word. Yeah, but that history is fascinating. Hope you're enjoying this amazing discussion with Garrison Hayes. Let me take just a moment to ask you this question, though. Are you looking around you at culture and saying, wow, how did we get into this crazy mess? And do you think, how can I be a part of the solution to this season? If you're asking that question, you are not alone. And you're a part of the reason that I do coaching with Pastor Paul. If you go to pastor-paul.com, there's some amazing opportunities if you get the link from the show notes to join my newest coaching cohort for a very special price at this time when I know a lot of us are concerned about financial issues. But here's why it's important to jump into a coaching cohort, even in that uncertainty, because we give you an opportunity to really rewrite the story of your identity. Who am I? What am I telling myself? What am I ashamed of? What are the things holding me back? from being the fullest part of the solution of culture that I wanna be? How can I be transformed so I can be a transformer of the world and people around me? That's what we work through in the Pastor Paul online curriculum and coaching cohort. One-on-one -on -one meetings, cohort education and online curriculum that talks about the human need to be safe, to be valued and to have a purpose-filled life. I'm offering you a life that is powerful and fulfilling 
and sustainable. You may say, oh, I don't need a coach. But trust me, Tom Brady doesn't say he needs a coach. Michael Jordan never said, I don't need a coach. We all need someone to hold us accountable to the goals we've set for our life because it's hard to do it on our own. We need a paraclete, someone who comes alongside, and that's my role as Pastor Paul. If you want to find out more about what coaching and a coaching cohort with Pastor Paul looks like, I've got a special offer. There's a link in the show notes, and you can find a special rate and a chance to have a free one-on-one consultation with me. Otherwise, you can just go to the website at pastor-paul.com to find out more about Reconstruction U and our coaching cohort with Pastor Paul. I hope you'll check it out, and I hope you'll be a part of the change and transformation of our culture with a life that's powerful, fulfilling, and sustainable. Reconstruction U is the name of my coaching cohort and curriculum, and I hope you'll find out more about it today. Now, back to our conversation with Garrison Hayes on the Post Evangelical Podcast. Isn't that interesting? And, and I'm uh, I'm still uncomfortable listening to music, and I'll be singing along, and then <laughs> it has the N word in it, and then I like you know I have to like stop and not yeah, say yeah. that part. Of the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it is such it is such an incendiary word, and I I, I don't know when when you think about the you know these anti-racist discussions you're facilitating for us and your sort of church history how do you see anti-racism and the church needing to come together the church needing to have these conversations and and where do you see the church and racism sort of today in America yeah i, I unfortunately there is so much there's a deep um, history of racism and the church as we know it today. Um, unfortunately, so in, in the early part of the American church, um, the, or I should say in the early part of American history, the church really served as a, you know, rubber stamping tool um, for racism. Um, it was ideas of the curse of Ham and and these ideas of biblical slavery that that were used to justify um, the mistreatment and debasement of African enslaved African people. And so the church has played an integral role in the way we understand race today, um, the structures of racism that we know um, to this very day. Uh, many of them were approved by the church. So I think that history, of course, I think, of course, I think that history is important. Of course I do. There's I a reason we have a Southern Baptist conference. Precisely, uh, yeah. precisely. Even within, uh, you know, I was for a time a pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist church, and there is a bit of segregation still present in that church, structural mm-hmm. segregation. And so many denominations, um, notwithstanding there, they we, we many denominations kind of identify uh, with that bit of history as well, and could be described in the same way. Um, and even when we aren't structurally um, and intentionally segregated, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, uh, Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in uh, in America. Um, we are still incredibly segregated. So all of that, I think, is, is very important to, at the very least, acknowledge. Um, but I also think it's important to acknowledge that the word of God is powerful and speaks powerfully to the things that divide us and the way we can we can utilize the word of God. We can utilize the Bible 
as a powerful tool in deconstructing these structures and these habits and these prejudices seen and unseen. Um, I think about the early church. The early church has a profound and powerful history of anti-racism. In Acts chapter six, there's a story of these uh, Greek people who are being overlooked at the very least, but likely mistreated mm. by the early Jewish converts. Um, they feel as though they aren't being serviced and served in the same way. And so the early church, they're, they're forced to make some decision. And how are we going to address this blatant discrimination that's happening here within our ranks? And what they choose to do is powerful. They choose to repair. What they do is they choose among the Greek converts, they choose, um, I believe, six or so. They choose a right. number of elders that they raise up. You can tell that they're from that community because the names are Greek names, right? They're not Hebrew right. names. So they choose people from the marginalized community and they put them in positions of power. They decide to share power. They don't say, hey, get over it. Hey, that was so long ago. Hey, we'll change. No, they say something's happening here that we need to make structural change to ensure that this inequity does not continue to be perpetuated. And so they make that structural change by, by sharing power. Uh, I think that's an incredible and powerful, powerful example of the way in which the modern church should learn from the early church about how we deal with these issues of difference and discrimination. Yeah, that's, oh, I love that. I love that. And, and, and understanding, I always try to, you know, emphasize who, who the Samaritans were and what the mm -hmm. Samaritans represented to, to the people around Jesus and for him to make the Samaritan the, the hero of the story, you know, uh, what that means. I, I always say for if an incarnate Jesus was walking around in America today, that would be the parable of of the good Islamic fundamentalist mm -hmm. or the parable of the abortion provider sure, or, or sure. somebody wow. like that to really bring our most hated villains and make them the hero of the story. Yeah, and, and, and I love thinking of like, I say every every certainly white evangelical Christian should have to read Jonah chapter four at least once a year and put themselves in Jonah's shoes and say, God, I'd rather be dead than live in a world where you love those people. Yeah. Wow. And say those words out of our own mouth and, yeah. and think, am I okay with that? And it, for me, Garrison, it was my wife and I really saw the danger of right wing evangelicalism coming in the in the Bush years, the GW Bush years. And the election of, of President Obama then, I think, really began to unearth for us, like, whoa, like, we really hate this guy. And it doesn't seem like it's just because he's a Democrat. <laughs> there seems like something more here. And, and for us, certainly then, Trumpism came along and, you know, sort of tore the tore the veil off the whole right. thing. It's like, oh, no, wait, we just, we just are racist. Yeah. Um, and I still haven't quite found how we change that or even get people to have those discussions. And I think that's some of what you're trying to do in this season is how do we get people start to start to think differently about how they think? And I think those are really it's really important in this season. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, you know, I, I think so much of it is is really holding ourselves to a higher standard. Um, you know, we started this conversation just talking about the importance of being anti-racist instead of just 
not racist, right? Talking about this particular conversation, but really raising our expectations of our communities and ourselves um, a little bit higher where it's not enough for me to kind of be just floating. I'm, I'm not bad, but are you actively good? Are you actively seeking, um, you know, justice? And, and I think that's important. That's something that I can hold myself to. That's <laughs> so it's not just a you do you all your people, this group, that group, it's me, it's me, it's me. And I, I find that to be true in so many different areas. We're, we're talking about racism today, but marrying, I've been married for just over three years now. And I learned so much, so much <laughs> about sexism from my wife. Oh my goodness. If it wasn't for her, I would not, <laughs> I would not know what I, what I know. And so I'm very, very thankful to her. And it's also brought me a great deal of, it's kind of, instilled a great deal of grace in in me when I have conversations with people who don't, you know, don't, who aren't aware or aren't actively working against racism, whether that's a white person or anyone, right? Whenever I'm having these conversations, it, it's kind of helped me see, no, there, there's, there are times, there, there are times when you just don't know. And, mm -hmm. and, and so bring a bit of grace to the conversation um, because I need all the grace in conversations around you know the issues that so many women face and and so learning that has been really powerfully powerful for me it's given me a bit of humility and invited me to sit in the seat of the privileged um to be told hey here are the ways in which you are privileged and to to bring a humility to that conversation and to to listen and to be willing to to change and to work alongside um it's incredibly important so i'm saying that to say that you know so much of these conversations require us to to raise our expectations but also to raise our level of grace and humility and to invite others to to to, to come to the table and know that they'll be accepted at the table as well. well that's really good and you've made some great book recommendations one that i like to recommend to people a lot is is malcolm gladwell's talking to strangers have you had so a chance good. To so so good uh, it was just a brilliant way for me of revealing how we get swept into systemic racism, systemic belief systems without even understanding that we're in them and having really good reasoning for why we're doing it and yet finding a way that that we need to to change out of it. So that's one that I definitely recommend to people as uh, as we continue to go through that. And I, it's it's like I love I love this transgender athlete issue because it is such a complex issue of sort of uh, e equality in the pool of biological uh, issues. But then as somebody saying, well, it's unfair that women born biologically female then have to compete against a transgender woman who was born biologically and went through puberty biologically male. But then when we start talking about privilege and opportunity, I, I like to challenge people and say, you don't think an Ivy League female swimmer, biological female swimmer, hasn't had some advantages to get to where she is, that, that it didn't require some privilege of money, perhaps, country club inclusion, most likely some things like that. And so I just think we've always got to be checking ourselves with humility, like you say, so we, we can see our own self in the mirror at times. So good. So good. I, I totally agree with you. 
Well, it's beautiful stuff. I want to keep the conversation going. As always, we, we finish with our public podcast, and I invite people uh, to join the Pastor Paul support community at my website, pastorpaul.com. We're going to keep talking to Garrison. He's talking about giving yourself grace, and I want to hear more of his message about giving yourself grace. So join us over on the Pastor Paul support community version of the podcast, and we'll keep talking about that. But Garrison, appreciate you joining me to talk a little anti-racism today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you real quick before sure, we go? Sure. If you want to connect with me, I love, love, love hearing from people, love knowing how things like this meet you. Uh, the best place to get in, in contact with me is on Instagram at uh, Garrison H. And uh, I'm sure Pastor Paul will have that somewhere for you okay. to see. Um, I'm on Twitter. It's at Garrison underscore Hayes. I know Garrison H was taken already. Uh, at Garrison underscore Hayes. And of course, I'm on TikTok at Garrison Hayes. And so it's it's some version of my name <laughs> everywhere. But here's the good news. Any of those places, if you click the link in my bio, you can find the rest of my stuff. You can also find my Substack in the link in my bio. And I'm sure Pastor Paul will have a link to that as well. I write occasionally. Uh, I, I recently shared a little bit about uh, heaven and my father and losing my dad. And so uh, I, I want as many people to to, to connect to that message as, as possible. Um, would love for you to join me on Substack. So anyway, those are my things. That, that's my plug. Uh, thank you, Pastor Paul, uh, for the for the opportunity. And we will put those links in the show notes so everybody can check it out and go listen to our bonus podcast uh, to hear more from Garrison. What an amazing discussion, and thank you for joining us. Garrison has more to tell, and his story in this season is about dealing with grief and walking through sorrow and how to have grace for those moments, and I want you to hear it. It's a bonus podcast. We offer those in the Pastor Paul support community. If you'd like to hear more from Garrison Hayes, how he's dealing with the death of his father, so many of us are dealing with walking through death of relationships, of community, and so much else. Garrison has a great way of dealing with that to have grace for yourself in the middle of it all so you can walk it through really well. It's in our bonus podcast. How do you get it? You go to the pastor-paul.com website. That's pastor-paul. Don't forget that dash in the middle there, pastor-paul.com website, and sign up for our support community even just signing up to get the newsletter for free, you'll have access to our community chat board and it tells you how to get to the bonus podcast. So I want you to hear more of Garrison Hayes and it's a bonus podcast we offer only for those in the Pastor Paul support community. So go to pastor-paul.com, check it out and get more of the bonus podcast in our support community. Thanks for being with me. Love you all. Have an amazing day. Be well from pastor-paul.com and the Post-Evangelical Podcast.